Hey guys, it's Amy. I just wanted to talk to you before we started the podcast today. So normally at 1L2N, we try to keep things lighthearted, but today our episode is definitely a little more serious. So we wanted to put a trigger warning ahead of this episode to make sure you knew what to expect. We do talk about death, depression, and suicide in this episode. So if you need to skip this episode, that is absolutely okay. And we hope to see you back for the next one. If you or anyone you know is struggling, please know first and foremost, you are loved and there is always someone who will be willing to listen. You can dial 988, which is the National Suicide Crisis Lifeline, or you can visit www.crisistextline.org. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Creativity and Chaos, a 1L2N podcast. I am Amy and we are joined by some crickety crack, wickety whack people today. Missy. Crack, ow, everything hurts. Mike. Wiggity what? Tommy. Tick a boom yeah. And our wackest of guests, Liam. We are a family of creatives going through the story writing process, and we're bringing you along for the ride. Hello, everyone. How has everyone's week been? I have finally won the battle against Louis. I'm very excited. What it battle? Was a battle? Yeah, uh, Louis likes eating cat oh, the food. The cat food. Yeah. Uh, so he yeah. keeps he keeps climbing up. We've done several things. First of all, we've taken the cat food off the floor, and it's now on the desk. We built a ramp for the cat to claw her way up. So that she can get to the top. And then Louie was like, no, I'm going to just jump directly on the desk. And for being a small dog, it's a pretty impressive feat. So we block this body jumps up to. And then he's like, no, I'm going to figure out a way to run up this ramp. So he does like a running charge because he can't claw on because it's got carpet on it. So then I put a little barrier at the top for the cat to duck under when she's climbing up. And then he figured out a way to do a running jump up underneath of it. And so this week, just today... I built a little square blocking thing so that he can't like run up the ramp because then he'd hit his head. So it's his move now. <laughs> there's a, there's uh, a lot of moves going on. This is yeah. a long battle, it sounds like. It is funny because we've been watching him on our security camera and he will go and like look around and be like, <gasps> like because he can't get to the cat food. So when we're not home, he's like, oh, I get to eat it. And then he just walks and sniffs and then whines. I know we've also caught him recently on his security camera going, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just He's so dramatic. Do, yeah, doing a very dramatic howl. It's usually whenever Aaron leaves and she's not in work clothes, he feels betrayed because, you know, <laughs> we're not going somewhere fun. <laughs> so I have currently got the upper hand in the cat food battle, but we will see his next move. That's when you got to start attaching things to the wall or making like the little high hideout higher up hideouts you know what i'm talking about for cats the problem is with mo being a three-legged cat it's hard for her to jump on anything so she can claw her way up stuff but she can't really climb that's right that's right dang how's everyone's house week so i've had no work this week because wonderful hurricane ian there's nothing for me to do so i played an ungodly amount of video games and i uh my friend bought me so graciously a metal hell singer which is a, it's basically if New Doom got turned into a rhythm game. So it's just shooting demons to the rhythm of, the, of metal music. Doom meets Crypt of the Necro Dancer. Pretty much, yeah. And I do not like rhythm games. I don't know why. I feel like I should. 
but I, I hate them. This one, however, is a lot of fun. And it's like you basically score the more combos you score, the more intense the music gets. So it just adds a layer. And the very last layer of music that it adds is the singer. And it like the singer's always so like intense and rough. And it's amazing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm doing so good. Now the singer came in. Woo! So yeah, that's that's pretty fun. And then on top of that, I was playing Super Hot, which I didn't realize had a story. And I really like its simple stories. It took me about an hour to beat, and it was free for this particular weekend. And that was a lot of fun. Also recommend Super Hot. I don't know why I haven't played it till now. That was a good game. That's what I've been doing this week. I beat Crucible level six and seven in or five and six in Peglin this week. So I'm very excited because the hardest level is level seven. So I'm almost there. I will have completed oh. a freaking game. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it's a it's a game that you actually like this time around. It has everything that you want out of a game. Well, I mean, it's a variety compared to, to the type of games I usually play, but it, I love it. It's, mm. it's my, my game. In real life news, I live next to an airport, and a couple nights ago, a plane took off, and there was a series of booms from it over and over, and Uh-oh. the booms kept continuing up into the atmosphere. At first, I thought, Hmm, that sounds like a accident on the highway because we live at the corner of three highways and then the airport's on the other side. Great place to live. So I thought there was another accident out there, but then the booms, you could hear them moving into the atmosphere. And I thought, that's really bizarre. And then the next day I read in the newspaper that a plane had had an, some kind of explosion and fireballs coming out of it. I'm like, that's great, right over my house. Fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, fun times. We get a lot of weird noises from the airplanes because we're so close. But that one was like, even the cat stopped and they were looking outside like, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I started my new job this week. That's great. So there's one thing I wanted to talk <laughs> Classic. about. Classic. <laughs> Continue. Ha, 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 ha. How was huh. it? I specifically it, haven't asked you because I wanted to, you know. Yeah. So it's weird because I have four weeks of training before I officially start. And it basically feels like I'm back in school. I have taken so many notes. <laughs> <laughs> like there's like powerpoints we have to go through and everything and we have our little desk setups and it's it's not what i mm. expected at all it's very strange i'm enjoying a new experience but i don't know that i'm enjoying my current job so far but it is a lot of information that's thrown at you that you have to figure out and memorize and once it's in practice i'm sure things will you know be a lot smoother the offices are they're actually pretty big. It feels kind of like a school. There's so many different like side rooms and then they do have, you know, the big areas cuz it's a call center, so they have the big areas with all of like the desks and the little cubicles, but then they have like four different break rooms and, you know, they have like these two main hallways that look like a plus sign and they've got like four different bathrooms you can choose from depending upon what break room you want to go to and the break room that's closest to us has a sparkling water like dispenser machine. So big, big fan of that. And there's like fancy coffee machines that do like espressos and stuff. And even though I don't drink coffee anymore, it has hot chocolate, which I found out. So that's pretty delicious. So yeah, it's 
it's not what I expected, but it's a new experience. And I'm, I'm no matter what, glad I get to do it. And it is weird because having worked at a job where I'm in a warehouse, I'm behind the scenes, I'm wearing literally clothes that are turning into rags and there's dust and dirt and cardboard box you know, pieces all over me. I'm sweating. I've got no makeup on. My hair is always in a bun and greasy or whatever to this where you actually have to dress up and look nice. It's such a weird like mental experience. I've done my makeup every single day this week. It's like, <laughs> who am I? But it it is fun to, you know, get to dress up and see a different side of yourself that you forgot you could do <laughs> for the last four years. So yeah, overall, I guess thumbs up. Yeah, We'll see. You're getting paid to learn instead of having to pay to learn. Yeah, that's probably my problem. If they paid me to go to school, I'd go to school. Yeah, sure, I'll learn and I'll take tests if you pay me, but I don't want to pay to take tests and write papers. Gross. No, thank you. Well, another like small little cool thing is my little small business that I'm working for is actually opening up a place near Amy's work. It is 0.7 miles from it. So when I get transferred over there, We can literally just take lunch together, which is really nice. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, you're really, really close to where I work. So and we have like a a huge parking lot that we can take walks in or whatever on lunch. So that'll be fun. Be able to just hang out Mm -hmm. and see each other. Or we can carpool too, depending upon what our schedules are. Don't know why I said it like (laughs) that. Sorry. There was this other little thing. I found this out today. I just read this random article about. This has nothing to do with anything other than it popped in my brain. Apparently, there's eastern tree frogs in Chernobyl that are mutating to have a black tint that basically uh, essentially melanin. I did not know this, but it reduces the negative effects of ultraviolet radiation and also can absorb and dissipate parts of the radiation energy. So a lot of frogs are mutating to have like a uh, very dark black tint, which I found really cool. I don't know. Just a little, Nature's little freaky, man. A lot of the animal Fun and facts, plant life Tommy. in that area is just fascinating with what's happened. Yeah, it was the particular group that wrote this article said they've been like just studying organisms and plant life since 2016 there just to see how stuff has mutated. And that is fascinating. <laughs> Super fascinating. Just for clarification, they're not mutating because of radioactive stuff, just natural mutations. And those species have then, because of natural selection, been able to reproduce in higher numbers. Yeah. The ones that that have had more melanin. Just randomly had that aspect were the ones more likely to survive. Exactly. It was was a rare... they, They existed beforehand. It was just such a rare thing you would see in these particular types of frogs but then radiation so they were the ones to survive survival of the fittest but yeah it was pretty cool that's a cool fact today i have an interesting topic that i want to talk about and i guess it's on the more serious note it is the idea that you need to be depressed or suicidal or have some sort of mental illness in order to be creative and i kind of wanted to get your guys's thoughts on that and see what you thought about it for example, uh, Van Gogh wound up taking his life and he was very depressed when he was making art, but he made some incredible pieces of art. And my thought process is anytime I always tell people that I make art, they're like, oh, that's cool. Like they always somehow allude to like 
you being upset or mentally ill or, you know, depressed or, or whatever it may be. And so I just wanted to see kind of what your correlation, like what your thought process about that was. Uh, the way I've always heard it was not that you had to be depressed or mentally ill in order to be an artist. It's that people who are depressed often make the best or most emotionally impactful art especially when it comes to musicians who make songs that are yeah. very emotionally deep or poetry it, it usually ties back to emotional depth but i don't think that that's a requirement no i was sorry i wasn't trying to say it was a requirement i just think that people equate the two very closely there's probably i don't know the science behind it but there's probably well, possibly a correlation between people who are more creative and people who feel more deeply. That that comes from the same kind of centers that are activated in the brain. So it's possible that those who feel more deeply, they're going to feel deeply on the negative side while allowing themselves to express those emotions artistically. Whereas some people who may not be as artistic may not be able to express their emotions in the same way that captivates culture in general yeah i think that has a lot to do with it is it is an emotional release for people who are creative and i think that's why some of the best art comes out of a lot of people being sad specifically musicians is because it's like it's almost a need they need to release it and the way they release it is through their creations i personally don't feel that way from my personal experience i feel like all my best art has come out of me being happy, which is why I'm consistently like, I'm like, everyone should work out. Everyone should be like as mentally positive as possible because I feel like all my best art has come out of me being happy already. But I understand, or at least my perception of it is that it is an emotional release. Touch on the suicide aspect of it. I would, and this is pure speculation. When people are creating this in-depth art that is born out of extreme grief or pain, when they look at that art, it reminds them of the grief and pain, right? But when we as consumers consume that art, we it may bring us joy because we love it so much, how creative it is, how unique it is, how intense it is, whatever it is, brings us joy. And the fact that we are getting joy out of something that's an expression of the artist's pain mm. could lead them to feel more pain. And it could be a, a cycle mm. or a spiral that that feeds into. So if, if you want to write a really good war novel about mm. military or something, then you could probably go ahead and write it without ever being in the military. But it may not end up being as good if you haven't done your research or if you haven't consulted oh, people yeah about it and i think that might be the same in general about you know sad stuff or you know mm -hmm. depressing art i definitely don't believe that they're the tortured artist is a requirement type thing or that the that more artists are even tortured than anything else I, if i had to guess i bet that artists are about statistically the same as non-artists in terms of mm -hmm. depression or suicide or anything like that but they reach a larger audience. And so people are more aware of their actual depression or anything. You know, when we look back at painters, we go, yes, okay, Van Gogh made some really great art. He is, he was definitely had some sort of depression or mental disturbance, but 
We can also look at a thousand other painters that are just painters. You know, we look at Bob Ross and we go, man, he could make some really ridiculously sad looking like paintings and even say, oh, there's a happy little tree in that painting. But I, I think that that when we look at art in general and we try and assign an emotion to it, that people who do have lived experiences might have a better connection to more like depressing stuff. But I don't think that necessarily means that they are depressed. I think it maybe is just a we we are putting ourselves into that art and saying, oh, that person made something sad. So maybe they are really sad when in reality, everybody's a little sad. Everybody's a little happy. Like, you know, there's a mixture of emotions. I guess the, the way I think about it is some people think that if you're depressed, that's all you are. You know, for your entire existence, you're just sad. You're just upset. It becomes an identity. Yeah, but I don't think label. that's that's necessarily the case. I mean, I'm sure it is for somebody, but I think for everybody, everybody no, goes through bad. Society bouts. labeling yes. the artist, not you labeling yourself. Yeah, they when they see somebody being sad for any extended period of time, they go, "Oh man, that person just must live a sad existence." <laughs> and I think it's the the way humans are so much more complex and have so many more layers that you know we can be sad and happy at the same time and just to to do a blanket label of the tortured artist you know i I think is is something that we want to we want to feel like the best art only comes out of depression or sorrow or suffering but really i think some of the best art also comes out of like tommy said happiness could it be that the people who have gone through tragic things or ultimately you know take their own lives that that act gets more attention by the media or by historians and so we tend to know them better those artists better simply because of their tragic end whereas we may not really know about a lot of amazing artists simply because they haven't gotten the coverage or the attention because their story isn't as interesting yeah yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I was going to also say, I think that, and this is also speculation, uh, I, my brain just hooked to this, that maybe when people see that someone is depressed and they're making art, that they really focus in on the reason why they're making good art is because they're depressed, even if they are, like, uh, even if it's a small number of people who are depressed or have some sort of mental illness, that's why they, they focus in on that specific mental illness as the reason as to why they're so creative at that moment. So yeah. I also think that when you are hurting or struggling with, you know, something intense, creativity tends to be an outlet to kind of get you out of that mindset. And so I think because it is an outlet to get you out of that mindset, that is probably why a lot of art is created out of people in sad and depressed whatever states. Not because they are sad, they can now create art. It's, I don't want to be sad, so let me create to help me get out of this sadness. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, that can happen. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's the, that's all the, the reason. I think a, a lot of it uh, is transference. The idea that you are taking an emotion of something and assigning it to somebody. So you hear a sad song and you go, oh, that artist obviously is sad. And you're then transferring the emotion of the song, of the the book, the whatever, to the person that created it. As opposed to just going, wow, they made something sad. I wonder if they are sad. Maybe they're super happy and they're just really good at it. Well, I was just talking about art in general. I was saying I wonder if it gets correlated with sadness because a lot of art is created when people are sad. 
because it is a way to deal with sadness or it's depression or anxiety. Yeah, it's therapeutic. That's what I was trying to say. Not I, that. But I would even challenge that. I, I don't know if a lot of art is always created just as the therapy. I think a lot of art can be created as a hobby, which is not, you know, but the, the way that I create a lot of music and stuff is I love making sad stuff. It's like one of my favorite things mm-hmm. to do, but I do it to give myself joy and not as a therapy. It's just because it's a hobby for me. Yes, I'm not saying that all art is created out of sadness. I'm saying I think that sadness can be correlated with art because there are people who use art as a form of therapy. I'm not saying that all art has to be created from sadness. I was just saying that there are there is a group of art that is made or a group of people that make art who happen to be sad, and that's how they're dealing with their sadness. It's more about where did the stigma is the wrong word. Where did the assumption come from or the stereotype, I guess, come from Mm. that artists are sad, depressed people? Is that more what you're trying to get at? Yeah, which I think it probably goes back to, Missy, what you were saying about Maybe it's a more salacious story for historians and the media when you hear that an artist is sad or depressed or committed suicide or had some sort of tragic story to go along with their their art. I think there's also a disconnect a lot of people could have when they find out that an artist who created something really great has then committed suicide or was depressed. Because a lot of times you go, but you made so much great art. You know, why are you depressed? Look, everybody enjoys this. Everybody loves this. And it's a lack of understanding. And so we automatically assume that just because you create something that you may or may not be depressed or you you should be depressed, you know, like you, if, if you are creating something sad and it brings joy to others, and then let's say that you are a sad person or you end up, you know, uh, being depressed or wanting to, to commit suicide or something like that, that other person that has that joy is then going to be, why were they sad? I don't understand. And it's going to be like a, a weird conflict of emotion within them. And I think that that is, is a, a lot of times not trying to understand the individual person. I think it's so much easier for us to assign a blanket emotion and just go, this person died or this person was this way or that way. And obviously they made this type of art. So therefore that's what they were on the inside. And yes, I do believe that artists bear their souls at some point, but I don't think that we can necessarily say this art was everything about this person. But, you know, when you're reporting a, a story, like there's a uh, singer songwriter, his name's Elliot Smith. He made some really depressing stuff. But it's so good. He's a he writes almost every part. And I think he had like five or six studio albums and stuff like that. And then he died and it was a a, he died of stab wounds. And we don't know if it was a homicide or a suicide or what, but he died of stab wounds. So you hear a bunch of depressing music and you go, oh, he died of stab wounds. Obviously, he was depressed. He probably killed himself. That is us just assigning that artist and saying this is what this artist was he was depressed because he made depressed music and obviously elliot smith did have you know a struggle with drugs and mental illness and stuff like that so that's maybe not too far off but i don't i I don't i feel like it's a harsh conclusion to jump to and i'm not saying anybody is but if you think that somebody's depressed because they make something sad that it's strictly what they're always going to be you know that they can't go through those phases? It doesn't mean that it's a cry for help when someone makes something that is sad or dark. It could just be they're being creative. 
they're exploring an avenue of creativity. I, I actually find it slightly even the opposite. I find that, the, or not the opposite. I find that people who look at stuff that is sad and they go, why would you make something sad? That's depressing. You must be depressed. I find that oftentimes they probably don't have the ability to emotionally deal with that. Because they are, they themselves only want to be surrounded by happiness. I mean, again, I'm just guessing at this point of what anybody else's reaction to something could be. But if your reaction is, no, you have to make everything happy or things need to be happy. And that's the only way that you can be happy yourself. Then maybe you have a harder time dealing with emotions than an artist does that makes a sad, you know, painting or something like that. Or just the bias that the art you produce has to reflect your, your mental or emotional state at any given time yeah. yeah so if you're happy you have to make happy art but if you're depressed you can't make happy art you have to make sad art i say this even uh, deepens when you i didn't know who elliot smith was so i just looked them up and they made a bunch of grunge and immediately like it's well this is what this is what they were saying uh, there, there are some of the genres that they, oh. he was exploring was grunge and so when you're when some of your art is is famous off of a particular genre, when when you think of grunge, I don't think the first word that comes to my mind is necessarily happy. And I think that's another thing that I should get out of my mind is like, we don't know how they are. We don't know how the artist ever particularly feels when they're creating the art. And I feel like that happens tremendously when you get into genres and then subgenres of particular music. Uh, same with metal. Like when you think of like metal and heavy metal, you think of just angry. But some people, some of those artists are like some of the happiest artists that I follow. They're just, they're just happy, excited little puppy dogs. Exactly. Around. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, everyone has a different way of expressing themselves, regardless if it is the emotion they're feeling at that time. Yeah. And we should also stop boxing people into singular emotions. Like most of humanity experiences multiple emotions simultaneously, or at least throughout even a single day. It's rare to be in a single emotional state for lengths yeah. of time and when that does happen that is when there is a problem whether it's up down or, or sideways emotions like singular states there's definitely a problem that you need to seek medical help for but nobody is usually just i'm happy all the time or i'm sad all the time or i'm angry all the time like so the art that they produce like don't just box people into those emotions based on their their art or their their finished product um, yeah. because it takes time to make them and they experience a bunch of different emotions while making that art so that art is actually a reflection of a uh, it's a collage of emotions their art is a collage mm. of emotions yeah I, I i will say this but sort of adding on to that art might be a collage of emotions but i do think that having experience with some of those emotions might help you relate to oh, other yeah. people better that's kind of what i was getting at with the writing a war book so like you don't have to be in the army to write a good war book but if you've been in the army maybe your war book is going to be a little bit more easily connected to people Authentic. yeah yeah exactly I, it yeah. doesn't have to be because obviously you can get other people to help you out and, and figure out that exact story you're going to be but, you know, maybe you as an artist have had something sad happen to you and you go ahead and write something, create something. And somebody else looks at it and goes, I know that emotion. And they connect mm -hmm. with you on a deeper level because of the way that you're able to express it. I just don't think it necessarily means that you, that is your only emotion. I would also say that if 
if you find yourself being quick to evaluate a piece of art and apply emotion to the artist, you need to step back and go, am I assigning this emotion based on the art as it is, or am I assigning the emotion to the artist because this is the emotion that I am experiencing while consuming this art? Yeah. Because creating art has a totally different set of emotions than consuming it. And just because a song makes you feel sad doesn't mean that the artist felt sad while making it and vice versa, happy, you know, and everyone's going to experience it differently too. I was trying to think of an artist that is just genuinely very like happy. And the only one I could think of right off the top of my head was Weird Al. You know, you've never really seen yeah. him be upset or sad, but I guarantee it happens because it's part of the human experience. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously there are people conditioned to to feel certain ways and there are situations that people can be in. But I wouldn't look at at Weird Al's entire discography and in the end be like, that must have been the happiest person on Earth. <laughs> Because, yeah, he made happy stuff. He made fun stuff. But that doesn't mean he's he, never been yeah, depressed. He, just, he always presented himself yeah. in that happy well, demeanor. And with him, that's a great example. Because that's kind of the, the flip side of this coin. People not understanding a person like him being upset being sad being mm, angry mm, like yeah almost getting upset if you know like how dare he display those emotions he can't be he's always so happy and everything that we know and see him in because that's what he's allowed us to see you know it's actually kind of interesting when you see the opposite sort of view so i don't know if we talked about it on this i'm sure we have talked about it on the podcast but red and link I was introduced to them by Tommy and Amy a long time ago. And, you know, you watch their like Good Mythical Morning show on YouTube and they're eating crazy stuff and they seem to be super happy. And you're like, man, that's fun. That's that's crazy. And then you listen to their podcast and some of the episodes were like, man, I had a really tough time. This was a hard point in my life and I was very sad. And, you know, you definitely wouldn't expect somebody who's constantly goofing around to have these really deep emotions, but obviously they do. And I think that might be the same thing with people who write a lot of really depressing stuff. Maybe that's just what they're really skilled at is making that or that, sh that having that emotion shine through and having yeah. that that deep connection, you know, regardless. So I think we, we like to assume that the tortured artist is something that is tragic and is sad. But I, I really I just think statistically it's probably not true. Although if somebody out there has done some sort of paper on it and they're, they've done some analysis, send me the abstract. Send that our way. Not reading the whole <laughs> thing. We are 1L2N Productions at YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, or Reddit. Good, good. To kind of relate it about Hashtag plug. to the cursing tree, because that's the biggest project we've all worked on. How were how your emotions, specifically Mike and Missy, whilst creating it? I just wanted to make other people cry. That was that was like my goal. It is it's like, oh man, this is this is gonna be really sad. And there was kind of like an excitement in that in in presenting a sorrow. You know, when I listened to it, I cried. There was parts I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta this emotion is overtaking me. And you know, when I there there was a mixture of happiness and sorrow. Obviously, I created something and wrote some music for it. And I was like, we did this as a group. Like, I can't believe this has happened. So there's that excitement, and then there's like the sorrow because you're like, man, that was a that was sad. <laughs> why did I write that? <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know. So 
For me, it was a mixture of excitement about the project and anger at Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Amy experienced no anger or upset emotions when she... There were no sad. There were no there tears. Were no tears. Bread or you were describing the story you wanted to make, and I started crying. <laughs> that okay, <is> Like that. <laughs> you hadn't even written it, and I was like, like, tears were streaming down my face. I'm like, oh, gosh. And pretty much every time I've listened to it, I've cried. So, like, it still gets me. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's, for me at least, I think it's more challenging and interesting to make something sad because I look at a lot of stuff. I don't get sad at a lot of media. There are stupid things I do get super sad at. Like, I can watch a Pixar movie and I'll be like, oh, my God, the toys are about to die <laughs> and they're reaching for each other. This is so sad, oh. you know. But then I can watch... You know, another movie where I'm supposed to have an emotional impact on two characters that I just do not care about. And I think it's harder to do sad than it is to do funny or action or anything because sad requires an emotional commitment. Yeah. And so to me, that's just a more interesting challenge. Yeah. But have you ever seen the videos of the dogs greeting their humans that have come back from war? It's the saddest thing. I've seen some dog videos, and I'm sure this would be how Louie would react, where they're just like, who are you? And then they're running around with the other people that, you know. <laughs> they know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that they know. <laughs> yeah. You don't smell like this house. Get out. <laughs> Which, honestly, that would be super depressing if I went to war oh, and then came so back and, like, Louie or Mo was just like, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> Invader, intruder. That's also how just some dogs greet their humans after five hours of missing them. Yeah. This is true. Like, you were gone oh for gosh. so long. It's like half of my life you were gone for. I'm so glad you're back. You're like, buddy, it was 30 minutes. I was just ran to the grocery store real quick. <laughs> yep. That's how it works. Anyways, that was a good discussion. <laughs> this week I started watching old movies because I was I, oh, yeah. I was bored and I was going, I, I want to watch something. So I've randomly picked this movie and it's called Being There. And it's about a gardener who is not smart. He has, you know, some mental handicaps and he's grown up his entire life in a house and the person's house that he gardens in died and he's never been outside. And so he goes outside and uh, through a series of misadventures becomes, you know, an advisor to the president and everybody thinks he's some kind of genius. And it's really interesting. It's like well acted. And I, you know, would have never chosen to watch this. I just picked a random movie and said, okay, go. And then when I was watching that, I decided to, to think that my dad has a very interesting choice in movies sometimes. Sometimes they're really great. And then other times they're really awful. And there was two movies as kids that he was so excited to show us. And I went back and watched both of them. One of them was Colossal, The Forbin Project, and one of them was The Andromeda Strain. It was back-to-back science science fiction movies. I remember he got them like both at the same time. He was like, we all got to watch this. So I was curious, were the movies good or were they bad or do they hold up or anything like that? And my personal opinion is that Colossal, The Forbin Project holds up extremely well in a strange way because of the way that it builds tension throughout it and then lures you into a sense of calm. So I would go watch that if you've never, you know, never seen it or heard about it. Colossal, the Forbin project, I won't spoil it. The Andromeda strain, I think does not hold up as well, unfortunately, but 
it does have some really cool shots in there, like cinematography. There's this one where, you know, half the screen is somebody walking around town and the other half is black. And then when they look inside a window on the black part of the screen pops up what is in the window, like their view. Hmm. And then it goes out again. They keep walking. And so it's just a unique way of shooting and has some really creepy things in there. So our dad picked some good movies for us to watch as kids. And that's all I really wanted to say. I remember being traumatized by the Andronomous stream. Andronomous stream? Andronomous? Andromana. Andromana stream. Well, I just came from the Andromeda galaxy, right, Mike? Wasn't it? No, they didn't actually say. They just named it that. Oh, okay. I just remember having nightmares after it. I feel like a lot of the movies, our parents, and we've said this before, were very much, we weren't Saturday morning cartoon kids we were hey let's just watch a bunch of movies in you know, saturday morning kids and our parents let us get away with watching so many movies and i feel like at a young age watching andromeda strain it really messed me up i i don't think they necessarily like let us get away with it i think they made us watch those movies <laughs> like dad was like let's sit down yeah, and watch sounds this. Like that. you know i think yeah. it's because he got a lot of joy out of it and he was so excited mm-hmm. to be able to share that joy with us oh yeah yeah but there was a disconnect between you saw that in your 20s and you're showing it to us at age like nine I, I found yeah. the Andromeda strain to be creepy in spots when they they finally find this virus thing mm-hmm. and it's just on screen like zoomed in to 400 times magnification or something and all of a sudden it starts growing and it the way that it it's filmed it like flashes a couple colors and then expands slightly and flashes a couple colors and expands and it's it's super creepy and I loved it because of that. And there's some other things that happen in the, the movie that are, are just uniquely chilling. So I could totally understand as a kid when you see that, when you see this thing that looks like a giant blob, even though it's, you know, it's smaller and grain of sand and it's expanding and growing and you're going, oh my gosh, that's it's terrifying. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you think that over time art has gotten worse or I, I'm trying to think of how to describe this because, like, I think a lot of people describe, you know, you know, everything used to be so good back then. And I think that's that's false. I think a lot of it plays into your nostalgia factor. But I also think that to a certain extent, there's so much art these days. You run into more of a chance to run into something kind of not as good rather than good, making people feel like that art these days are worse than it used to be because there's just so much art to consume and the way we consume it's so readily available to all of us that we were just like yeah yeah, art's not as good i'll say this in in kind of response going back and watching some of these old movies oh i also watched superman okay like the the christopher reeves superman oh okay all right really not a good movie it's it's got a five minute or it's over five minute sequence of Superman just picking up Lois and they're flying around and it's five minutes long and you're going, why is this so long? But sorry, going back and watching that, I was actually very encouraged because I think art in the past has some really unique qualities that you can you can be inspired from and borrow and enjoy. And you can also go back and look at the things that should not be repeated. True. Through all four movies that I watched, there was 
what I would not do if I was an editor or a director of a movie, that every single movie had long shots that were unnecessary at some point. And it doesn't add to the storytelling. It actually detracts from the pacing in general. And a lot of times it was where somebody would be just walking down a hall or on the sidewalk or something strange where you're like, okay, I get there walking, but it just lingers an extra five seconds too long. And it seems to pull you out of that moment because you're going, what's, what's about to happen? Tell me something. So I think you can learn from older art and also be inspired by it at the same time. It's definitely worth going back and taking a look at stuff that, you know, you you may not have have seen before or may not have even thought of because sometimes it can be really good. Also, in general, I would say that art is always getting better because mm-hmm. we're learning from the past things that work and things that don't. I mean, if you just look at the quality of television in the past 10 years compared to the decade before and the decade before that. It's just gone so much better. And technology, not just in TV movie type, but in even art materials, right? Technology continues to improve, giving an artist a broader ability to tell their story, to to show you what they see or think in their head. It's becoming less and less limited to be able to get it out for people to see it. Yeah. Rewind back a, a moment. You said four movies, but I only heard you list three. The first one was Being There. The second oh, Being one, There. Okay, that yeah. was a few. You're right. You're right. And that one's a much Sorry. slower movie, but it's still it's good acting. It's got some interesting things they do. So you, I think you can learn from kind of you know mm-hmm. every bit. And you know what? If you're bored, it's better than watching the same reboot that we've seen a thousand different times of some mass popular media that. We've already consumed. Cough, cough, Star Wars, cough, cough. Actually, that's How entirely why I went back and watched Superman. <laughs> it's because I went, why did this get three sequels? <laughs> yeah. You know, what What was it about it that in 1976 or 77, they were, they were so enthralled by it? And if you go back and watch it now, you go, oof, that is, uh, you know, there are some really <laughs> glaring script problems, but whatever. And pacing and stuff. But I guess, you know, if there's nothing that's been like that. Wouldn't it be that the audience in general has changed in the last 30 or 40? I don't even know when it came out. A long time ago? Yeah, I, th- I definitely so think the audience has changed. The audience had a different kind of tolerance for certain things or a different kind of, of look or approach to different types of media. They probably were a lot more tolerant of those long, like, forever-ending, ongoing sequences that just, why is this here, cough, cough, Star Trek, the motion picture, cough, cough, right? Like, that was more acceptable back then. That was more a slower-paced way of telling art and building up the emotions within you. But today, that's just not how we tell stories. Yeah. Different flavors for different times. Yes, and you can definitely, definitely see that, especially with some of the the humor and stuff that was in it. You know, it definitely doesn't match up. It's a lot more slapsticky in some strange ways. You know, every single time Superman meets some criminal, he says some punchline. <laughs> it's it's not necessarily good. It's not a terrible film, but when you you look at him, it's just it's interesting. I think it's 77 or 78, 78, sorry, which is what I actually found very interesting about it is Star Wars came out in 77, right? John Williams scored both of these movies and the Superman score sounds like it was way older and Mm. it's, it's definitely more classic, but the way that it was actually recorded sounds like they did not do a lot of takes. 
they kind of just had all the sheet music and they went into the studio and they did like one take and there's some slight discrepancies in, in the way like pitches and, and timings. And they were just like, cool, it's fine. It's whatever. We're, we're good. Whereas when you listen to that in comparison to, to the score Williams did for Star Wars, you're like, well, that's a lot tighter and, and more precise. And it's just it's a very interesting contrast for something that came out later, but sounds like it was recorded earlier, which it also might have been. I wonder how many not like new techniques, but how much John Williams updated his uh, composing techniques for Star Wars, because I'm sure he didn't think it was going to be pretty popular at the time, but it was something different for its time. So if the two are so jarringly different for being so close together, I wonder what exactly he did different for Star Wars. I think Star Wars was such a unique approach to movie telling to begin with that perhaps Williams was attempting to take a different approach with music to reflect yeah. that. I actually heard... I'm totally speculating. Well, I heard somebody uh, that was no, talking Missy, about... No, it's only cold hard facts on this <laughs> podcast. If we said it, it's clearly a cold hard yeah. fact. I heard somebody talking about the score for Star Wars and how at that point, especially for science fiction films, people were starting to use synthesizers and trying to explore different sounds. And... John Williams was considered an old-fashioned choice for scoring Star Wars to have this big orchestral piece because a lot of people were moving out of that. Mm. They were doing soundtracks and you know having bands come and play and stuff. And instead, Williams comes in and creates you know an iconic piece of music, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "Well, now we need that for our movies." So it was actually yeah. he was the start of a big revolution to go back to a more classic mm. form of. Using a classic collection, but in a more modern way. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't playing classical music, but he was using a classical setup in order to produce this amazing work of art. So, yeah. I'm pretty sure he was depressed. (laughs) Bring it back. Clearly, clearly. That's the only way he was able to get good music ever. So, I mean, well, I mean, he was watching Star Wars not like he's looking up at those two songs that's that's just a big old ball of depression in that moment (laughs) that's right sons you heard it here first people sons are just big old balls of depression really are john Williams. there's two of them what were you gonna say liam so what did i did (laughs) (laughs) i think that wraps up this week thank you everyone for listening we would love to hear from you you can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Reddit. We are 1L2N Productions. Or you can head on over to our website, which is 1L2NProductions.com. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help show your support, you can head on over to our Patreon. That would be much appreciated. And the last word of the day is going to go to... Missy, take it away. Emotions are a complex thing, guys. The way you feel about things is different from the way other people feel about things. Don't try and apply your emotional reactions to other people. Don't expect them to react the same way that you do. I think if we all stopped and thought about that for a moment, the world would be a better place. (laughs) 